0: Welcome to WarDocs, the military medicine podcast. Our mission is to preserve the oral history of military medicine told from the perspective of the healthcare heroes that lived it. Find out more and join Team WarDocs at wardocspodcast.com. In this special WarDocs series called Military Medicine Mentorship Moments, we have partnered with AMSIS, the Society of Federal Health Professionals bring you insights and advice about different aspects of mentorship from senior experienced military medical leaders. I'm your host, retired Army urologist Doug Soderdahl. Our featured military medical mentor is retired Army Major General Dr. Philip Volpe, a board-certified family medicine physician with a distinguished career of clinical excellence, leadership, and service. You can read his full bio on wardoxpodcast.com. On this episode of War Docs Military Medical Mentorship Moments, we're privileged to welcome Major General Retired Dr. Philip Volpe. Sir, thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure and honor to be here. Thanks for asking me to be a part of this because mentorship was invaluable to me in my career.
0: So this episode, we'll be focusing on what mentorship is and how to develop the ground rules of a successful relationship. So why don't we start off with, how do you define mentorship? Well, mentorship to me
1: really is a relationship in which a more senior and experienced person helps guide a lesser experienced and knowledgeable person. It's typically an older person that has extensive expertise in a particular area that is helping guide an individual based on their desires and help mentor them in that same area of expertise.
0: So, one of the things that I hear is there's some confusion about a difference between mentorship and coaching. Can you explain a little bit about the differences between the two?
1: Yeah, that's an important
0: distinction.
1: Coaching is like what we experienced when we're on a sports team, we've experienced it before in life. That usually is performance, rate. that is on the job related. And someone, usually a supervisor or a leader, or someone more experienced than you is coaching you on what to do or what not to do to perform better on the job. It's usually immediate, it's specific, it may be a technique, it may be a style, it may be a form of communication, and they're coaching you on what you need to do to perform better, to be more successful, to improve on the outcomes and results of what it is that you're doing. Usually the coach sees something and sets the agenda. They're in control. They are more directive and say, hey, come on over here. You know, I know you're doing this, but you should consider doing this this way. You would be better at it. A mentor is not in the driver's seat. The mentee is in the driver's seat. The mentee sets the agenda. The mentee is really the one who as the final decision maker on the relationship, seeks out the mentor to help develop them, succeed in future assignments, future duties, future jobs, taking on greater responsibility in what they need to develop as a person, as a leader, or within that area of expertise. Things that could help them develop their
0: skills. So how do you determine if a mentorship or a coaching relationship is appropriate for a situation?
1: All of us typically have other people in our charge, which basically means we're a supervisor, a commander, a leader over other people, other human beings that have a job to do on a team, but we're the leader of that team. Whether we're an officer in charge or whatever the title is that you give it, commanding officer, supervisor, director, chief, we lead that team. In doing so, we notice how people perform on that team. And we use tools like counseling, good counseling and, and negative counseling when it needs to be applied. And we call a person in and we our goal is to get them to perform better. That's coaching. Counseling is coaching on the job, talking about the, that is your role in that situation. For mentoring, you have to take a little step back and let the mentee be the one. You can't be in charge and let someone know, here's what you need to do in your career. You first have to find out what motivates you. What do you want to do in your career? What are your desires? Where do you see yourself in five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now? How do you see yourself fitting in? What gives you fulfillment in your life? What do you think your strengths and weaknesses are for getting to where you want to be? Then you go into the discussion of. Getting to know them, their relationship, building a trusting relationship, and then sharing some of the things they could consider to do to help develop themselves. But they call whether they want to do that or not. Whereas when you're coaching, you expect the individual to strongly consider your coaching advice to improve on their performance on the job. It's important because it's very hard to mentor someone while you're also coaching them because you're their direct line supervisor. And what I would advise is you need to think about it carefully, because here's the catch-all that could, I don't want to use the term, it could get you in trouble. When you're coaching, you're coaching everybody on the team. When you're mentoring, it may only be one or two people who adopt you as their mentor. you got to be very careful that you don't get perceived by everyone else of showing favoritism in your time and effort to the people you're mentoring. So that's the only caution I would say to look out for, because that could that could be uh, against good team building. If people believe that you have a favorite or you're showing favoritism
0: towards one or two people
1: because you're spending more time with in mentoring.
0: So in a mentorship relationship, is, is chemistry important? Chemistry is vital.
1: Chemistry is vital. When I look at the mentors that I chose to be my mentors along the way, it sort of happened natural. It starts with a relationship. It starts subtly with just getting to know. You learn to trust an individual. And by the way, that's two ways, from the men- mentor to mentee and the mentee to the mentor. You not only begin to trust them, you build a certain level of respect for where they were, what they've done, and you make the determination that they truly care about you as a person and that you would like to emulate their style, their expertise, their behavior, and be able to do the things that they did because you see the enjoyment that they're having from what they're doing. And that's what I want to be like. So it's sort of like role modeling. It's inspirational. It's motivational. And I want to be like them, right? That's the sort of feeling that you get. So you have this relationship that's set up and then you start talking to them and then they realize that they are your mentor and they start saying, you know, you ought to consider these type of jobs. You know, what are some of the things that you struggle with? And have you considered taking this course? Have you considered talking to these people and learning some new skills here? that might be valuable to you in the future? Have you considered reading this book that may be valuable to you in the future? Join this association or this club because you have a lot of common desires and goals that are very similar, and you'll get to see what other people like you are doing and learn from them. Because no one is every place could learn all the lessons that need to be learned. You can't do every job. You can't make every mistake. So you're in cumbered to learn from other people's jobs, how they succeeded and how and learn from what other people's mistakes were. So you don't make the same ones. Who is your most influential mentor and why? Yeah, my most I was very fortunate and very lucky, I consider myself very fortunate to have had the opportunity early in my career as a young, newly promoted major in family medicine to get the assignment of my choice as staff faculty in a residency training program at Fort Bragg at Womack Army Medical Center Family Medicine. Lo and behold, the residency training director was Lieutenant Colonel Daryl Poor another family physician, residency training director in family medicine, who had been the Delta surgeon, had been in Vietnam, had been the JSOC surgeon, had been the 82nd Airborne Division surgeon, who really, and by the way, the most caring family physician to his patients that I've ever seen and ever experienced, who I wanted to emulate all of those attributes to be not only a soldier and serve the military, but all of my patients, whether they were soldiers or family members or veterans or whatever, to be respected and looked up to and trusted like he was. Because I saw that in his patients and how they saw him and talked about it. And I said, man, what a great feeling. Uh, so I was lucky to be under his supervisory charge. He got to know me. I got to know him. And he was the guy that took me out to dinner. After about a year of him being my supervisor, the residency training director, got me involved in special operations forces as an augmentee, so with the Rangers, he goes, well, you have six months left on your obligation. What would keep you in? What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? Because here's what I think. I think inside, you enjoy being a soldier. And you know why you enjoy it? You're really good at it. The line guys and the medical guys look up to you. You have such great potential. You have more potential than you realize. I know you want to become an academician, teach in family medicine as a career, and be a residency training director, and go into the civilian sector, that you are just serving back your first obligation because of your HPSP scholarship, but you can always do that. You could do that at any point in your career, but for right now, I have a job lined up for you that I believe will be invaluable to you as a person and as a doctor and in your military medical career. I want you to be the division surgeon of the 82nd Airborne Division and replace then Lieutenant Colonel George Waitman, who was the current division surgeon of the 82nd Airborne Division. So I need you to extend two or three years because we want to send you to the Command and General Staff College, which I am willing to work to get you in there and then put your name forward to become the division surgeon of the 82nd Airborne Division. And he he said that I think you are the person that's positioned to do that the best. You're the one. And it would be beneficial to both you and the military. So he convinced me to extend for a couple more years. So I extended. That's the value of mentorship. What was the best advice that you ever got from a mentor? Best advice I ever got from a mentor was Major General Hugh Shelton, the division commander for the 82nd Airborne Division. Here I am. In my second year under General Shelton, six months left in that extended obligation that I took as the 82nd Airborne Division surgeon. And General Shelton, another mentor of mine, a line mentor out of the medical community, who realized my contributions to the 82nd. He had his aide one morning call me at 03 and said, hey, doc, the CG wants to do PT with you. At 6 30. So I'm sitting there at my home going, Holy cow, what did I do wrong? The boss wants to talk to me privately and do PT with me. And lo and behold, General Shelton, I go out with running. Now you got to understand, he's 6'8, I'm 5'7. So I'm doing three strides for every one of his. He was a big runner, and we're running pretty good. And he starts talking to me and says, Man, we're indebted to you. The readiness of this division has never been better you are so good. I am so privileged and honored to have you on the team of the 82nd. He went on and on, making me feel good. Then he goes on and says, what are you doing next? And I said, well, sir, I'm going back to Womack Army Medical Center to be a clinician, to get all my skills up to speed before I transition out of the military in three months after I leave the 82nd Airborne Division, because my obligation is up and I get to go on to the career I envisioned when I was a medical student and early in my career of becoming a residency training director and spending a career teaching in family medicine. And he, st- we literally stopped running. And he goes to me, he goes, is that really what you want to do? And I said, well, yeah, that's what I want to do. And he goes, well, I read through your bio. I know your whole career. I talked to a lot of people out there, the medical and the line community. We don't want to lose you. You need to stay in what job would make you stay in? And I said, at that time, I said, sir, there's only one job. That's to be the command surgeon at the Joint Special Operations. But I can't be considered for that job because my AOC as a family physician eliminates me from consideration. The only people that become the JSOC surgeon are emergency medicine physicians and surgeons because it's a trauma surgical, not for a primary care physician to be eligible to become the JSOC surgeon. His comment was, well, that's too bad. I just want you to know you should be proud of everything you did. You'll do a great job at WOMAC after this. You'll always be remembered as a great military doc. And I wish you a lot of luck in your career. We finished PT and went back. That afternoon, I get a call from Major General Garrison's office, the JSOC command from his aide that said, doc, that CG wants to see you this afternoon. Here I am seeing patients in a clinic in the 82nd. I said, yeah, sure. I'm in my BDUs. I usually get class A's when I show up before a general officer and report. But I'm in my BDUs. I could break away. He goes, great, break away. I'll meet you at the gate, get you through security. You come into our compound area and I'll get you to the boss's office. I go in. He leads me into General Garrison's office. I'm sitting there. General Garrison is... uh doing paperwork. He doesn't even look up and acknowledge. He looks up at me finally after about two minutes and he goes, I'm not going to use the word. It begins with an F, but it's basically what the hell you want this job for? So I said, sir, I've deployed with every one of the special mission units under JSOC. I know this organization inside out. I know the tactical operational. I've been a division surgeon in the 82nd. I believe I'm best prepared to contribute to this team and serve all the units of the Joint Special Operations Command in the important national security mission of the United States. That's all I said. He looked back down at his paper, didn't say a word for about a minute or two, and then looks up and goes, okay, you got the job. It was that quick. His aide could hear him outside, comes in, escorts me out of his office. I go back. The next morning I'm doing PT in the gym next to our 82nd headquarters office. General Shelton sees me, he comes over. He's got a big smile on his face. He goes, hey, Doc, how did your interview go yesterday? <laughs> That's the importance of mentorship. He was the one that advised me that I needed to stay in. He listened to me. And then he made the phone call that opened the door for me to have an opportunity to become the next JSOC surgeon, even though my AOC wasn't eligible. And trust me, everyone went in a little tizzy and panic in army medicine, because I was not on the slating to be interviewed by General Garrison. And this was done line commander to line commander, and that's how I got selected. So I extended another two years in the military to be the JSOC surgeon. And then the operation in Somalia, seeing our warriors serve our nation with the dedication, the commitment, and the sacrifice, willing to die for our country, camaraderie, serving each other, the heroic actions in that mission in Mogadishu I came back from that even though I was depressed or felt down that I didn't do the best job I could do that's the mission that convinced me this is what I want to. Ha- this is what I want to do to spend my career as a doctor serve the men and women serve the military because they deserve the best medical care our nation has and I will do my best get them the best medical care they deserve
0: so that's that's how that all unfolded. So we have some listeners who are you know, probably early in their career in military or federal health care. What are some practical advice would you give them if they're interested in being mentored? What, what next steps should they take? Well, the first thing is being involved and
1: present. you got to be involved. Can't be alone. you got to set up relationships. There's a certain amount of respect that is automatically given to you as a physician. You know, what you had to go through to get there, your degree, knowledge in the healthcare profession, and very important in your career early on are the credentials you establish, right? Your certification, your diplomas, your certificates on the wall. But after everyone gets through that, what really sets you up for success is your reputation. And I believe my career would allow my reputation be enhanced by others and how they see me was that I always chipped in to be a team member, did many things well above and beyond what I was either trained to do or what my job said I was supposed to do or my responsibilities. I chipped in. I was helpful. I was trying to always be a part of the solution. I always had a positive attitude. I wasn't always where I wanted to be. Many times, as you know, the Army tells you to be here, gives you a task or a mission, you don't really want to do but you're there you have to do it positive attitude team player always striving to be the best clinician the best doctor i can be always striving to be you got to be a good doc you can't get out the gate if you're known of not being a good doc or people don't believe you're a good doc so you got to be a good doc and then you got to be a good team player you got to have a positive attitude the worst trait you can ever have military medicine is arrogance. Arrogance doesn't go very far. People see your arrogance, they just don't want to be with you. That's the worst trait anyone could ever have is to believe that they are so special that they could talk down to people rather than with people or talk down to patients or talk down to teammates or even talk down to superiors because they know more and are brighter and are more knowledgeable in the area of expertise. It is very important to be grounded and have the humility to understand that you're a human being just like anyone else. And in medicine and in the military, the recognition that other people, line people, soldiers, nurses, medics, combatants, are just as passionate about the job they're doing and their responsibilities as I am about my job and my responsibilities. My job and responsibilities, while I feel are extremely important. I have to be able to recognize that their job is just as important as my job outwardly and show them I cannot sit here and be, well, I'm the doc, a physician. We don't do those things. We don't participate in that. We don't fill sandbags. No, we're deployed. Force protection is important. I have a lot of downtime. I could fill some sandbags with the troops. Trust me, when they see you fill sandbags, there's no excuse by any of them filling sad beds. When they see the doc doing that, or the doc wearing his Kevlar helmet, his uniform properly, or the doc showing good order and discipline and respect, or the doc using military terms, or the doc saying, thank you, please, you're welcome, I'm sorry, in his words and the use of their words. They also see that, and they see you as a person, that humanity and humility vital. your success as a leader in military medicine.
0: We've been speaking with retired Army Major General, Dr. Philip Volpe. Sir, thanks again for sharing your mentorship insights with us, and thank you for your incredible service to our nation.
1: Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate Dr. Sadegal and uh, to everyone out there, Godspeed, best wishes to you. Thank you for serving our nation. There is nothing like doing honorable work with honorable people. That's what I got in my career, and I wish you all the same in your career. God bless you all.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our special War Doc series, Military Medical Mentorship Moments in partnership with AMSIS, the Society of Federal Health Professionals. We invite you to follow and subscribe to our show on whatever platform you consume your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please rate and review this podcast and share our show with your contacts on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find out more information about our show and our guests and how to become a member of Team War Docs on our website, WarDocsPodcast.com. That's podcast WarDocsPodcast, one word, dot com. Thanks so much for your support. If you like war stories and medical drama, Wardox has you covered. Spread the word.